0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 10th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The Magna Carta, the Great Charter, marks its 800th year this year, but its relevance to the founding of the United States and how we consider rights today is easy to forget. Roger Pallon, Vice President for Legal Affairs at the Cato Institute, discusses the continuing importance of the Magna Carta so many centuries later.
1: 800 years ago, the barons and clergy of England presented the uh, king of england king john with a document claiming their ancient rights as englishmen and forced john's hand on the document it was the first written constitution in in essence for the english speaking people and it has stood ever since as the symbol for the rise of the rule of law, and of placing arbitrary executive power under the rule of law.
0: The Magna Carta did not give everyone, or at least uh, it did not enshrine rights for everybody. It was for a specific group.
1: Absolutely, and that is unlike our own constitution. And in the case of both documents, the scope of the document and its protections expanded over time. The Magna Carta has gone through several iterations. Uh, The first was 1215, then again in 1225, then again in 1297, and so on over the centuries. And in each case, the nobles realized that in order to keep it effective, it would have to have scope for more and more people. And so it was in their interest to see to it that its, its scope expanded, and in many ways that was true in this country too.
0: Was that history known to the founders? That, his, oh, yes. that history of, of the increasing scope of of people that had been covered by uh, Magna Carta.
1: Yes, the American founders were quite aware of the history of English uh, liberty, and in fact, as late as 1774 we find them appealing to the king and parliament for their ancient rights as Englishmen. They hoped that they would be able to avoid war and to address the problems that had arisen since the Stamp Act uh, in 1765 and the intolerable acts that followed, the so-called intolerable acts, and remain as colonies with Uh, the um, subjects still loyal to the king. But there was a substantial change that took place, indeed a material change, between 1774 and 1776 when it became clear that all the remonstrations of the colonists to Parliament and the king were met only with the blood of Lexington and ships full of soldiers. The plea changed from one of making our case as Englishmen and seeking our ancient rights as Englishmen to making our plea in the Declaration of Independence in the name of the universal rights of mankind. And so by the time we get to the Declaration of Independence, we are speaking about a fundamental shift in the thinking that surrounded the Magna Carta uh, in all of its uh, iterations and the thinking that we find in the Declaration, which is taking us to first principles in the sense that the Declaration sets forth its principles with reference to the rights of mankind, and it is an appeal not to the king or to parliament, but to a candid world to understand why we are severing our ties with the mother country, and that Fundamental shift marks a fundamental difference between the nature of government uh, in America and the nature of government in England, indeed in the rest of the world.
0: So why is uh, Magna Carta so much more celebrated here than it is there? Tom Palmer at a recent event on Magna Carta pointed out that there's a a small uh, memorial to the Magna Carta at Renny Mead, and at the bottom it says paid for by the American Bar Association. So what? Uh, what exp- is, it, is it that the Declaration of Independence sort of breathed new life into that very old document, or what?
1: My sense of the matter is that it's because we did indeed make that fundamental break. Even the glorious revolution toward the end of the 17th century in England— did not make so fundamental a break. They continued, for example, with a monarchy. We, on the other hand, sought to begin from the ground up. All power rests with the people, says our Constitution. We the people, for the various purposes purposes that are listed, do ordain and establish this Constitution. In other words, we create the government, we give it its powers, The government does not give us our rights. Notice that Magna Carta was a plea to the king to recognize their rights. That's very different. We didn't plea to the king or to anybody else in 1776 to give us our rights. We said we have our rights already.
0: People like to draw parallels between uh, where we are now to where we were in 1776, people like to draw parallels between trying to get uh, the government to acquiesce to the demands of people and their rights. So how, how fair are the comparisons between now and way back when?
1: Under the Constitution, we established a government of limited powers, leaving us otherwise free to plan and live our lives as we thought best. And we did that more or less for 150 years. Obviously, slavery was the great cardinal sin, and it took a civil war to end that, and the passage of the Civil War Amendments. But by and large, for 150 years, we had limited constitutional government. With the Progressive Era, however, we started to increase the scope of government. We essentially abandoned the first principles during the New Deal, that had characterized our origins. And today we have massive government. So there's an interesting irony that in many ways, we're right back in the fields of Renymede, importuning our government to recognize or to expand our liberties from the kind of regulatory redistributive state that has arisen since the New Deal. So Magna Carta is very relevant today if only because it is a symbol of how this was done in the past and how it must be done in the future, even though if we do it correctly, we will get beyond Magna Carta back to our first principles in the Declaration and the Constitution.
0: Roger Pilon is Vice President for Legal Affairs at the Cato Institute. Watch the full conference on the Magna Carta held last week at the Cato Institute. That's at Cato.org.